Hello everyone and welcome to another series of interview specials for the Top Gear magazine podcast. Now we did something a bit similar to this earlier in the summer when we managed to doorstop a load of important figures and celebrities and CEOs at the Goodwood Festival of Speed. But this time we've been across the pond to America, to California to be exact, to an event called The Quail, which is part of Pebble Beach Car Week and is effectively the poshest motor show on earth. And interviews don't come any bigger than this because we managed to sit down or stand up actually with handheld microphones with Mate Rimac, the man who less than a year ago effectively bought Bugatti and became CEO of Bugatti Rimac. The man is without question a certified genius. On one hand, he's an EV pioneer, but he's also just a massive petrol head. He's also only 34 years old, which is quite depressing. We talked about how on earth he divides his time these days, the fact that he's building an all-new, brand-new combustion engine for future Bugattis, and why he's buying, for his own personal collection, a Mercedes SLR McLaren, even though he knows they're not very good. Anyway, enjoy the pod. Here's Mate. Okay, so welcome to the Top Gear Magazine podcast, Mr. Mate. Rimats. I'm finally pronouncing your surname correctly. Yes. I think. I, I don't care how you pronounce it, it's fine either okay. way, but you've done it very well. You've come to terms with Rimac. Yeah, then. I'm fine with that. Yeah, it's All fine. Right, good, good. And also, I... you know, with mate instead of mate, <laughs> like I'm Australian, but it's fine. I get a lot of abuse on the internet for saying Rimac. <laughs> so I've changed my ways. I'm Rimats now. But um, yeah, so just to uh, set the scene, we're at Quail Hollow. We're behind the scenes, very much behind the scenes, Literally. near the barrier, under a tree, trying to escape all the music and noise and the mayhem that's going on over there so we can have a little catch-up and um, because it's been what just over a year since uh, the formation of Bugatti Rimac just under a year yes just under a year uh, last I think it was year. announced just over a year but it actually yeah. formally began yeah. just under a year so yeah. how's that year been well, crazy <laughs> uh, well I don't know in the last 13 years since I started a company uh, probably this was the craziest one um, mm-hmm. so we you know announced that big, very big thing for us. Uh, we shown the production of ERA. Uh, we started to build the campus, raised 500 million euros, uh, broke world records with the Nevera, and I got married. So, uh, <laughs> congratulations! <laughs> was, I actually remember hearing about it. Was it last August? Was it last summer? Was around uh, that time. Last July. Yeah. Last don't July. don't ask me about the exact date because my wife will kill me if I don't uh, say exactly <laughs> the right day. But yeah. <laughs> okay. And how are you? How are you making this work then? It sounded like, you know, Rimac, Rimac's was a company that was exploding anyway, and suddenly you've got, you know, Bugatti under your remit as well now. So how on earth do you split your time and manage? all of this effectively yeah I mean whenever I thought like I cannot work more I find like there's ways to work more <laughs> like uh, wake up earlier and so on but <laughs> it's, don't it's, sleep at all yeah that's the most effective yeah. way. but no it's really like the the team is great the especially the Bugatti guys like I must be honest like at the beginning I was thinking like oh these are all a bunch of you know Volkswagen managers uh, big company thinking probably it will not work and so on but I was actually proven otherwise the people have extremely high quality uh, they have run the company in a very good way Even, like you know I'm really thankful for my predecessor Mr. Winkelmann who has run the company before he has built a really strong team a really good good team here and uh, they helped me a lot in running I mean 
the, the, the things work, you know, yeah. Bugattis are being delivered, Neveras are being produced, and it's just that there is so much going on, you know, on one side with Bugatti Rimas, we have, you know, joining the two companies, developing new products, we're developing completely new cars from scratch, uh, having lots of projects going on at the same time, growing the company. Then we have Rimas Technology with lots of projects that we are doing for other car companies. There's like, I don't know, 15 projects ongoing with other wow. car companies. And just to get an update on each of them, you know, once a month, it's mm -hmm. like, you know, a week is already gone. Sure. And then we have the robotaxi business with P3. We are building, you know, this biggest building in Croatia, the, the campus. So it's just the, the, the challenge is that there's so much stuff going on at the same time, but the team is really there to, to, to support it that I can lean on them. Brilliant. Well, well let's focus on some of the product then, because obviously Bugatti's got the Mistral here. Um, now you said, uh, when, when the companies joined that you were going to keep the W16 engine alive? Because I think there was some sort of assumption that, um, oh, that's it, Bugatti's an all-electric company because, because you are the, the all-electric um, man, if you like. Um, but here's the Mistral, a beautiful uh, open-top speedster. Would you call it a, a Chiron drop-top or it's more related to the Devo or it's something altogether unique? Well, actually, it's, we said, the company will still make uh, combustion engine cars or hybrids with very interesting combustion engines, but not W16. Okay. So the future Bugattis will not have a W16. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the Veyron was really the first of its kind. It was really the first real hypercar going over 400 kilometers per hour or 250 miles per hour, over a thousand horsepower and over a million. So that was really the start of the hypercar era. Mm -hmm. And the W16 was an enabler to that. Like, without that engine, this would not be possible. And the same engine has been refined for the last 16, 17 years, basically, until today, where it went from 1,001 horsepower to 1,600 horsepower now. And we were like, I was surprised by how uh, much the customers appreciate that engine. And I learned to appreciate it as well during the last year. And now with new cars, it's going to be a completely new combustion engine. So we are developing something that's... Uh, so the combustion engine is not based on anything else. It's okay. not like a Porsche or Volkswagen engine or something like that. It's completely from scratch. But we were like, the people love the W16 so much. And it's like the pinnacle of the engine development. There's probably never going to be such a crazy engine ever again because people are downsizing and making smaller engines, and yet here you have this crazy W16 quad turbo. Yeah. So let's do it one more time. Mm -hmm. And that's why we decided to make it uh, open rooftop car, mm -hmm. because we wanted people to enjoy the sound and you know the emotions of the engine in the most unfiltered way. And that's what the Mistral is. Uh, it's, n it's based on the Chiron platform, but it's completely redesigned because the Chiron was never designed to be an open rooftop car. So we had to develop the whole car from scratch, basically. Okay. Okay, um, you say the last outing for the W16, but is the Bolid still on, on, on track to be yeah, yeah, going into production? And that will have the W16 engine. Yeah, yeah, right? but this is coming uh, after the, so the, the Mistral is coming slightly after the Bolid. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, okay, so the cadence is uh, Bolid. For, and Bolid, um, obviously you announced, I think it was exactly a year ago here today that you were gonna make 40 of them track yes. only. Um, the, the specs are out there, of course, it's insane. It weighs 1,400 kilos, etc. Has anything changed in the Bolid plan in the last 12 months? No, we, we are producing the car and we will deliver the 40 units to customers. It's all sold out. Already the, last year it was sold out. Yeah. Uh, it's, you know, I, uh, that project started before I came and I was really 
amazed what that car actually can do. It's like an LMP car mm. that a normal person, I mean, normal person who has four million to, to yeah. pay for the car yeah. Yeah. can use, you know. So, so the difference between an LMP car and the Bolid is, first of all, you can fit two people in. And second, you don't need a team of 20 people behind you. Mm -hmm. You come to a track with that car and just go bonkers. And you can achieve crazy G-force, like 3G, you know, in a corner or while braking. It's generating, I think, three and a half tons of downforce. You know, it's absolutely insane what that car can do. <laughs> yeah. um, so it's going to be really, I think, something very uh, exciting for people who, who can afford it and use it. And that, that drivability, because that's what always made Bugattis unique, was this stratospheric amount of power, this, these crazy performance figures. But you could just get into your leather seat, press the button, and pull away just like you're in a DSG Golf or something. So. Um, you know, vision is really important. Uh, Ferdinand Piech, the former CEO of, of uh, Volkswagen, he actually is kind of the father to Bugatti as it is today. I mean, Bugatti exists for 113 years, but he revived it, buying it for Roman, from Romano Artioli. So basically Bugatti was dead after the Second World War. Then Romano Artioli, uh, Italian businessman, took it over and moved it to Italy, uh, nearby Modena, in a city called Campo Galliano, and produced the um, EB110. And then he went bankrupt and Volkswagen took it over in the 90s. And it's all because of Ferdinand Pie, because he wanted to show what automotive engineering can really do. And uh, what, what they were doing is pushing the limits in everything, in performance and speed and so on. But he made a very important uh, requirement at the beginning. It's like one sentence that fascinates me so much how much it set the stage for the car, which is like, you have to be able to go with the car uh, 400 kilometers per hour and go to a theater with your wife in the same day. Yeah. You know, gracefully to a theater mm -hmm. and go 400 kilometers per hour. <laughs> and that defined everything. Especially if you're late for the theater, you can go 400 <laughs> kilometers and add to the theater. Exactly. You'll make it in time. Yeah, and and that, and that what I mean is, an, and then you get to the Belide, which is obviously, you know, its roots is in, it's like an LMP1 car, you said. Yeah. Um, but with you don't need a crew to preheat the engine and everything. Exactly. Start it up, go and have some fun. Um, so that's really exciting. Now, I think a lot of people will think that you are, I just realized we've spent most of this time talking about combustion engines, because <laughs> most people will think you're an EV evangelist, but actually you're, you're just a performance car fan, right? It doesn't matter if the power comes from an e-motor or a combustion engine. Exactly, and I said it always. You know, luckily I said it also before we took Bugatti over. <laughs> so uh, it's like, yeah. uh, it, it, it's consistent because when we started to discuss about the takeover of Bugatti, you know, Volkswagen and Porsche were telling me, yeah, you know, the next Bugatti needs to be electric. And that would be the easiest thing for me to take the Nevera, which we have developed for five years, and it's really like, you know, the, the top car currently out there, the highest performance and so on, and just rebadge it into, into Bugatti, you know, change the design, that's the easiest thing to do. But I was fighting furiously with the management of Porsche and, and Volkswagen, you know, really heated arguments that the next Bugatti shouldn't be electric. Yeah. And um, I think that was absolutely the right decision. So with the two brands now, with Rimac on one side, uh, we decided to keep it all electric and Bugatti for the foreseeable future, it will have combustion engines okay. with strong hybridization, you know, interesting combinations with, combustion, with electric powertrains, mm -hmm. but 
we think it's important to still have a combustion engine. So, so a new engine with, with some electric assistance and for the future of Bugatti. Believe me, I'm you'll just, be very surprised. I'm just piecing it together here. He, you'll yeah. be very surprised what kind of combustion engine. Okay, all right. I can't wait to see. <laughs> come on, come on. Um, but of course, and that's where the all the expertise and and learnings that you've got built up in Remats can, can just tra transfer over for, for the electric portion of future Bugattis. Yeah, and developing a car from scratch. It's yeah. like... Very few people have developed, truly developed a full car from scratch, like uh, that started from nothing, that didn't have any other um, base. And uh, that's, that's where our experience comes from, that we have done that with the Nevera and previously with, with the Concept One. And now with the next Bugattis, we are doing it again. And if you'd known how much work it was, you probably wouldn't have done it in the first place, right? <laughs> well, you know, I, I knew it's hard to build a car company, that it's hard to build cars, but how much it still surprises me sometimes every day. <laughs> okay. All right. So um, just a little bit of uh, some final questions. Quick fire questions here, Mate, so people could, at home can get to know you a little bit better. Um, don't worry. Yeah. Nothing personal. <laughs> um, no worries. I so, have no secrets. No secrets. All right. Um, can, you can only drive one car for the rest of your life. What is it? Oh, Jesus. Um, <laughs> probably an M5. There we go. Which generation? Latest one. That, that's what, that was my uh, private car for the last few years. Mm -hmm. Now I'm driving a Porsche Taycan on, on a daily basis. Mm -hmm. But it, it's a car where you can fit four people in, where you have luggage space and you can properly drift. There we that's go. very important. Would you take the CS model? That's well, I, I had a competition and that was really a mistake because it was so damn hard. Okay. Like it was, it was more stiff, the suspension is stiffer, that, that's what blows my mind, than, than a Bugatti, than a Nevera, than a Ferrari, <laughs> it's crazy. So I, I would go for the softer version. <laughs> there we go. Um, when was the last time you damaged a car unintentionally? Actually, surprisingly, I have a really good track record of not wrecking cars despite all the crazy stuff that I'm touch doing. Touch wood, quickly yeah, touch, touch wood. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Here's a big <laughs> wood. Yeah, there we go. Uh, I, I don't remember actually when I when I the last time uh, had uh, any damage to a car. Okay, all right. I'll, I'll, I'll believe you for now. <laughs> um, and what's your guilty secret? Is there a car that you love, but you probably shouldn't? Absolutely, and that's a car that I'm buying right now. Uh, it's a Mercedes SLR. Ah. I know it's dynamically not a very good car. I know it has a horrible five-speed uh, automatic uh, transmission. Mm -hmm. uh, but it was one of these cars I had up my wall when I was a kid. I love the design of the car. I love the proportions. Um, and I, I just somehow I'm in love with that car and I'm buying it right and now. And it's got side exit exhausts. Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, that's worth it. Absolutely. At, at least. Uh, Gordon Murray's over there on the GMA stand. So you can go and uh, discuss the car with him because he had a hand in developing it. But Mate, thank you so much for talking to us. That's been absolutely fascinating. Brilliant to catch up as always. Thank you so much.